1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
0: I'm afraid that I've been preaching so much about grace that we've started to abuse it a little
1: Today with Jeff Vines Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks so much for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. And today we're hearing about grace. It's an undeserved blessing from our Father in heaven. And Pastor Jeff is asking if we take it for granted. In our Bibles, we'll be looking at Romans chapter seven, starting at verse one. So let's get into it now, here on Today with Jeff Vines.
0: turn over to Romans chapter six, Romans chapter six, verse one. You're going to be holding that for a bit until we get to it. While you're doing that, I need to ask you something. I need your permission to speak freely. Now you get a little nervous when somebody says that to you, don't you? I I need to see your head nodding up and down that you're going to give me permission to speak freely this morning. And that you're doing that because ultimately, you know that pastor Jeff knows that he's no better than anybody else in this room. You know, he knows that. And the same things you struggle with, I struggle with, and we're all in this together. So when I use the word you in this sermon, uh, I don't just mean you, I mean all of us. But I I want to end the series in a way because God, this week especially, out of all the other sermons in the face-to-face series, I believe that God really has a word for us. I don't usually start messages like that, but I feel very strong and I want, to, I want your permission to speak freely. And I want us to, to be able to come to terms with this before we leave. I want you to hear me. We've been in this series called Face to Face, and I've asked you very personal questions. What would God say to you if he sat across the table from you and you had one-on-one time with him? What is it in your life that he would address right now? What would it be? And we went through a long list of things, and they've been important. But folks, we said that when you become a believer, your life changes. And that from now on, your whole life is the passionate pursuit of the middle, which we've identified as Christ-likeness. That no longer do you live as far away from Jesus as you can and still be considered a Christian. That you're not happy out here now. That you want to pursue with everything in you, with everything that you have. You want to be like Christ. And even though we had all those decisions, and I'm glad that we have, because it proves that you're walking across the room, it's a benchmark for us to know that you're bringing your friends and they're hearing something that changes them. But you got to know, I'm concerned. And the, the permission to speak freely concerns this right here, because I'm afraid, in order to communicate what I really want to communicate this weekend. I've got to bring back some very special friends. and I want you to give a real warm welcome to Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) Mr. Potato Head and his nameless, faceless friend. Now, I don't know if you remember, but not too long ago, we brought them out and we talked about something very crucial that I want to remind you of. I'll give you the cliff notes on it. Here we go. We said that the Bible says that when you came to Jesus, that you were taken out of Adam and placed into Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? I don't know. No one knows. No matter how many pages of theology you read, no one really knows exactly what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We just know they did. And we know, according to the apostle Paul, that they were our legal representatives. That is, had we been there, we would have done the same. Therefore, we're guilty, like they are guilty. And something happened to us. We were tainted. We got changed. I mean, we struggle to do the good now. Uh, our DNA has been impacted, psychological, emotional, physical death. I mean, we know that's true. And the more you argue against it, the more I can follow you around and it will be empirically verifiable. That's why when my friends at Coffee Clatch, high school, college age, they get in a discussion with me and they'll say, Jeff, I like your messages. I like your, your humor and your passion, but I just don't like what your Bible says about me. And I'll say, well, what does my Bible say about you? And they got it right. They'll say, your Bible says that I'm bad. And I say, well, what are you? And they say, I think I'm basically a good person who occasionally does bad things. And I say, really? Let me get this straight. You're a good person who occasionally does bad things. Then why don't you just stop doing bad things? Just tomorrow morning, wake up and say, I'm not going to ever tell another lie. I'm never going to have a bad thought. I'm never going to say something about somebody else. I'm never going to gossip about somebody. I'm never going to do anything wrong for the rest of my life. And they just look at me like, what? Are you crazy? I'll say, why? You said you were basically good. You occasionally do bad things. Just stop doing the bad. If you're intrinsically good, be pragmatically good. And they'll say, well, that's impossible. I'll say, you're right. It is. And you know why? Because you're not good. (laughs) The Bible says you're a bad person. You have a wicked heart. Wicked is the heart of man. And you occasionally do good things and if you don't believe that i'll just follow you around and if you deny that that just proves that proves that you're a bad person who occasionally does the good you're in denial and so the bible says though when we became a christian we were taken out of adam that dna and placed into christ and now we have jesus living in us it is no longer we who live but jesus who lives in us and he said now that you've crossed over you're dead to sin. Okay. I got to tell you, sin is alive and well in me. Anybody else? Well, what do you mean dead to sin? I mean, I'm trying. It's hard and it still wears its ugly head almost every day. Sometimes in while I'm preaching and I see some of you, it's there. <laughs> I want to say, hey, listen. Yeah. Something like that. So it's there. Why? And here's what Paul said. It's because you haven't yet learned how to take on sin yet. You don't know how to conquer it, so it's conquering you. Remember what we said? Paul said that sin is a separate entity. Look at Romans 6, 12 through 13. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now look at this next line, chapter 6, 12 and 13. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Paul is saying this. This is you. This is all of us. This is sin. What do you notice about sin? He's naked. He's powerless. Because he needs us to fulfill his desires. So it's not us and sin against God. It's us and God against this guy. And this guy can't fulfill his insatiable desires unless you help him out. And the way you help him out is to lend the members of your body to him so that he can fulfill his passions. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, uh, you don't ever fight with your wife, husbands, right? never happens. Well, my wife and I have some pretty heated discussions sometimes, even pastors. And we've been recently heavily discussing uh, the level of the thermostat on the air conditioner. Now, I've just about had enough, and that happens. And after I've had enough of not sleeping at night because I'm sweating and the house is hot, uh, finally, sin says this to me. Hey, Jeff, can I borrow your mouth? Because if I can have your mouth, I'm gonna set this straight once and for all. You see how this works? <laughs> see, if I don't give sin my mouth, he can't fulfill because he's, he's harmless this way. So he says, can I borrow your mouth? And uh, not too long ago, I said yes, uh, and <laughs> if, 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 if I say yes to sin, if I say yes, I end up saying something like this, sweetheart, just because you have a cold personality doesn't mean the whole house is going to be cool, okay? <laughs> and then, I, then I'll say something like, hey, who works around here anyway? Who brings home the bacon, baby? I pay the electric bill. I'll say something like that. Hey, Hey, look, I'm a legend, or I'll say something, I'll get really proud, and then I'll say another thing, man, another thing. Just for the record, I want everybody to know, I'm the man. Submit, woman. Now, (laughs) how far along do you think I get with that? Anybody want to know? Yeah. Now, do I really, did I say that? No, I did not say that, because I'm smarter. (laughs) 20 years ago, I would have said it, but I have wised up. You don't do that. So I didn't say it, but I felt it. Let me borrow your mouth. Now, if I do let sin, because he needs it, borrow my mouth, then after I've loaned him my mouth, he goes directly to my wife. And he says, you're going to let him get away with that? And then sin says to my wife, Robin, I need to borrow your mouth. If if she says yes, then she'll say something like that. You know what your problem is? You're spoiled. Your mother spoiled you, gave you whatever you wanted. And another thing, what do you mean? You don't even have a real job. You only work one day a week. Of course... (laughs) That really ticks me off. And then she'll say, Yeah, she'll say something like, You're a legend, all right, in your own mind, brother. And then she lets me have. Now, does she really say that? Yes, she does really say that. Yeah, because she can. That's right. But I can't. Now, here's the point I'm making. (laughs) You know that's true, guys. You know that's true. Here's the deal it starts with that, but then sin will say, He will lead me to believe that what I do now doesn't matter much, no one's watching. So he'll say, Jeff, can I borrow your eyes so that I can look at this attractive woman going across the airport? Can I have your eyes when you're in the hotel room and your wife's not there to stop and look just a little too long on cable television? Can I borrow your eyes when you're in the garage overseas and uh, and, in the service stations who sell pornographic magazines? Can I borrow your eyes? You see? Oh, Oh, come on, stop looking at me like that. You know what happens to you too. Can I borrow your eye? And if I say yes once, oh, oh it's like, hey, he says, I'll, I'll, let me borrow them for 10 minutes. I promise I'll give them back. And he won't give them back. He keeps them. And so the same thing happens with my ears. Jeff, somebody's gossiping and slandering this person who's created an image of God. Let me borrow your ears. I want to hear too, don't you? This is juicy stuff. And then he borrows your mouth again to repeat the gossip. Can I borrow your arms? And can I borrow your hands so that you'll take what doesn't belong to you? So that you'll push somebody away rather than draw them in? Please, you'll strike out against somebody? See, he can't do anything without your help. But if you lend him the members of your body, then he can fulfill his insatiable lust and desires. That's why my friend John Piper says this, we must stop making peace with our ears and eyes and tongues and hands and feet that betray you like Judas and go over to the other side of the enemy and become instruments of sin and make war on your soul. Now, here's my concern. I'm afraid that I've been preaching so much about grace that we've started to abuse it a little. Is that possible? Yes, it is. And I'm going to read to you in a moment people who were abusing it and what Paul said to them. Now stay with me. Do you remember Charles Blondin? The guy who walked across Niagara Falls from the Canadian to the American side on the tightrope. And can you imagine in two and a half hours it takes and he, he, does, he does this for three years can, and there's no safety net. So if you fall, you die. Can you imagine the concentration it would have taken walking across that tightrope every single day in summertime? If you lose your concentration, but for a moment, you're dead. When I was growing up in Elizabethan, Tennessee, two times a year, huge tents would come and fill the center of town. Both in the month of July. Early July, it was the tent revival. Late July, it was the carnival. And I gotta tell you, looking back now, oftentimes it was hard to distinguish between the two. Because I'm from the sticks and the revivalists would come down there and be handling snakes. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They'd be doing all kinds. I thought, man, am I at the carnival or the revival? I couldn't tell the difference. But I remember when I was about eight years old and the tent was bigger that year and it was huge. And they had this rope stretched across from one side to the other and a guy gets out with a big, long balancing pole and real tight. Looked like underwear to me, but I'm sure it wasn't. And he starts walking on that rope and he walks all the way across, gets the cross, and then comes back. And all the people are just, wow. And then he would climb down the ladder. And then behind the black curtain, stepping out onto the rope were the clowns. And they would pretend like they're going to walk. And then you know what they'd do? We just jump into the net. Whee! this is fun. They didn't even try to walk on the rope to them. It wasn't about tightrope walking. It was about net jumping. We, we'd all laugh and we'd say, man, that's funny. They had never had any intention of walking on the rope. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? I'm afraid that I've talked so much to you about grace that you don't even make an effort to make the changes. And when you hear a message and you know there ought to be a change in your life, you just go out in your car and you drive away. And you say, man, that was an interesting sermon. Pastor Jeff sure was funny, but you missed the point. And there's no effort. You don't even try to walk the tightrope. Your whole life, whee! Let's just jump into the net of grace. And, folks, that's not on. That's not on with God. As a matter of fact, the people who tried to abuse this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And Paul uh, was a great theologian because he always anticipated what someone would say to his argument. And so here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6 to a group of people who thought they could abuse grace. He says, What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? You know what they're saying? Well, if if my sin glorifies God in the sense that it shows how merciful and gracious he really is, why don't I just sin a whole bunch of those? Then God looks really good on how kind and merciful and forgiving he is. And Paul says, wait a minute, may it never be. That's the strongest phrase in the Greek language. Heaven forbid, no way. Why? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When you came to Christ, you agreed that sin was destructive that it wounded the heart of God, and that it destroyed you. So why would you even think about going back into it? Verse three, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? What? What are you saying? Verse four, therefore, as we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. He's saying Jesus' body was different after the resurrection from the way it was before the resurrection. We too, when we were baptized, when we came out of the water, our body in some way is different from the body that went down into the water. In what way? Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, his body was different. He could walk through walls, appear, disappear, reappear, go up to heaven in the ascension on a cloud. His body was more powerful. And now Paul is saying, so also, After your baptism, you are more powerful, knowing this, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We are not controlled by this guy anymore. We control him. We decide what we're going to do, and he has no power over us, verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Paul says, if you really got it, you'll know. When you came to Christ, you understood that sin is so destructive that it separates you from God to such a degree that you don't want to do it anymore. Cuz you want to live the abundant life. And people who consider that grace is a net, "We, I'm just going to sin. After all, I'm covered by the grace of God." And you make no effort to pursue conformity with the image of Jesus to respond when the guilt comes, then Two things are happening number one you're mocking the love of god because according to the bible god experiences everything in the eternal now you know what that means god created time therefore god is not limited by time in god everything is the present everything happens simultaneously which means that in god's mind jesus is on the cross right now, dying for your sin. And every time you sin and you say yes to sin, then it's like you're driving the nail deeper and deeper and deeper into the hands of Jesus.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines and sorry to press pause there for now, but we'll come back next time to hear the rest of this message about God's grace and whether we take it for granted like walking on a tightrope and carelessly throwing ourselves into the safety net.
0: And people who consider that grace is a net, we I'm just gonna sin. After all, I'm covered by the grace of God. And you make no effort to pursue conformity with the image of Jesus, to respond when the guilt comes, you're mocking the love of God.